All right. Well, chances are, if you've been a Christian for a while, then it is likely that you have met, you know, or have known someone who doesn't want to hear about your faith. They know that you're a follower of Jesus, but they don't want to hear about Jesus. They probably avoid you like the plague, which kind of has a whole new uh, connotation after COVID, doesn't it? They see you in the store. They probably turn the other direction. Maybe it's family. I don't know. They don't want to hear it. Uh, Over the years, I've been asked to do weddings sometimes, and uh, I've had people ask to do the wedding, and and then they request, could you leave out the religious stuff? Sorry, I don't do secular weddings. Your uncle can go get an ordination online in 15 minutes if that's what you want. That's not what you're going to get with me, right? And then there's another group of people, some again who we likely all know, who tried Jesus and Jesus didn't work for them. Which, of course, begs the question, What exactly about Jesus didn't work for you? And you know, they kind of just seem to stutter some lame, senseless excuse. Ah, You know, I went to church for a few weeks, but it wasn't what I thought. It wasn't what I hoped. It wasn't what I expected. So that's not for me. And what I find to generally be the case is that they have half-heartedly tried to follow Jesus and to come to church for a few weeks, and they thought that all their troubles would disappear and that everything in their lives would just magically be better. Probably one of the biggest obstacles, if not the biggest obstacle, to a new Christian or someone trying church for the first time is that They're going along, and it doesn't take long. Trial pops up. Their path hits a difficult patch, and they turn away. And that's when the excuses begin. Well, it's just not for me. I tried it. It didn't work. God didn't just automatically take away all the problems or all the difficulties of life, and so I'm just going to go back to my old life. I tried that. It didn't work for me, they say. As if Jesus offered a painless and trouble-free existence. There's a quote that I like. It goes like this. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. And maybe we could say it's been tried under the wrong pretenses, with the wrong ideas of what is promised, and found to be different than what some people have expected. Turns out you didn't win the Powerball. It's not smooth sailing all the time. You didn't land on easy street. And so they come to their new life in Jesus with false expectations. And just where they got those false expectations, I don't know where they got them from. They didn't come from Jesus. They certainly, anybody that's been a serious Christian for a long time, certainly didn't get them from them because we ain't selling the easy street stuff the no trouble, the trouble-free zone. One of the hard truths to learn about Jesus is that 
He never promises that trouble-free existence. In fact, Jesus would probably echo the words of that old country song, and I know you're all Lynn Anderson fans, so you know it, but I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Some of you are looking at me like, what? <laughs> Look it up. Jesus never said that we'd have a trouble-free life. Just one of the many things that Jesus never said. What else did Jesus never say? And obviously that list could go on and on and on, right? Because there's a lot of things Jesus didn't say, but how about these? He never said, whoever does the will of my father will always get the best parking spots. You got to get here early for that. It's not going to be all green lights as you go on your commute. You're not going to always find the best deals. He never said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll always have the greatest things possible happen to you. That it's going to be Instagram. Because that's all we see on Instagram, right? Or Facebook or Twitter or whatever you go on. The TikToks. It's all the good stuff. He never said, but seek first his kingdom and you'll never have problems in your relationships. That your kids are always going to do as they're told. <laughs> that you won't have to fight with them to go to bed. That you won't have to fight with them to get out of bed. What? You didn't want to go. Now you don't want to... Things Jesus never said. Today, let's take a look at some things Jesus did say in John's gospel, John chapter 16. In the context here, Jesus is preparing the disciples for life after him. This is the final pep talk. Jesus knows that his time is coming near. It's, it's almost done. He's got his disciples together, and he's going he's to pep talk. He's going to teach, and then he's going to pray over them uh, before he, he, he goes to the cross. And this is what Jesus said in John 16, 20 about his impending death. He said, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He didn't say you're going to rejoice and always be happy, but he actually said you're going to be incredibly upset. You're going to weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And you're going to grieve. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to say used the phrase the world 19 times in his teaching and prayer. He's going to say things like, peace I give to you, but I do not give as the world gives. He's going to say, I came from the Father to the world, and I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. He's going to tell them, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. He's going to say, if you belong to the world, then you would love it as your own, but you do not belong to the world. He's going to tell them that that is why the world hates you. You don't belong to the world. He, when he prays, he's going to say, God, don't take them out of the world. Because in the world, while we're in Christ, we are his testimony to the world. How we handle our trials, how we handle our difficulties, the peace, the way we love, that is the testimony. He wants us to know that though we live in this world, we are not of this world. He's going to talk a lot about the world in this passage, and there's a reason for that. He's contrasting in the world and in Christ. We'll get to that. 
Verse 20, look at it again. Very truly, I tell you, he says, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And then he says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. Where are my mom's at this morning? Huh? Huh? I haven't experienced it. And I'm going to warn you. I'm a bit traditional in my views of human biology. So I don't believe that I actually can experience it. But I have witnessed it twice. And I have no desire. None. Too expensive. I can remember when my wife Emily uh, was pregnant with our first child, Walter, and we had no idea what to expect. First time, you've been there if you had kids. First time, every little twin, as the time drew near, every little discomfort, every little pain, it was like, oh, I think it's, I think it's time, I think it's time, I think it's time. And the doctor would say, no, you'll know. Don't worry. You're not going to miss it. You're going to know. And uh, we were watching a movie one Saturday night. And she says, I think it's time. So we call the doctor. Doctor says, yep, come on. So we loaded up our gold Toyota Corolla. And we flew to Annapolis. I made it to Annapolis going down 213 in less than 45 minutes. Half the Bay Bridge was closed. The entire westbound Bay Bridge was closed. Less than 45 minutes to Annapolis. Because there was no mistaking the pain and the discomfort she was in. The noises. <laughs> I have never heard anything like it before. And I ain't never heard nothing like it since. We get to the hospital. Do you want me to get you a, a wheelchair? No, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll go. We get upstairs, find out eight centimeters already. And the chant, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And the nurse is like, no, you're not. And I, I don't know, I was probably just had the dumbest look on my face. Yeah. <laughs> this is happening. Right? They get her all prepared, right? And they, Listen, we've been married for 11 years yesterday, so she knows what to expect with me. So they get her all prepped, and they get her put in that chair contraption thing there, and, and, and it just an intense, immense pain, and the chant, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And then she blinks and pushes twice, and here's Walter. Less than five minutes. All that pain, a little bit of pushing. And afterwards, one of the most holy moments that anyone could ever have when she holds her newborn child. And all the pain vanishes. Never once did you say it wasn't worth the pain. Mothers, was it worth the pain? Frankly, the pain never goes away, does it? 
the pressure points just change. It just hurts in a different place. But I think that's a sentiment that every mother could agree with. It's a painful process, but the result was worth the pain. Jesus says, you're going to weep and you're going to mourn. There's going to be some bad days, but your pain will turn to joy as you continue to walk with Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse 22. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. I love this phrase. And no one will take away your joy. Jump down to verse 33. Incredibly important. Jesus explains why he's giving them this message. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, somebody say in me. He's going to say that in me, in my presence, when you dwell in me, you will have peace. Then he gives a contrast. And instead of talking about being in his presence, he talks again about being in the world when he says, in this world. He doesn't say you always have good days, you'll never have pain, you're going to crush it, you're going to own it, that life from here on out is going to be sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. He never says that you're always going to feel blessed, that the sun's always going to be at your back, the wind's always going to be in your sails. What he does say is this, he says, in this world you will have trouble. It's a promise. That's a guarantee. It's a declaration. It's a definitive statement. There's no question mark. In this world, you will have trouble. Challenges are certain. Pain is a promise. Suffering in this world, Jesus says, is inevitable. Welcome to Hope Fellowship, where our mission is to make you feel good about yourself. (laughs) Listen, just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean we're promised a pain-free life. He says you will be persecuted. You will face hardships. You will face trouble. And since trouble is inevitable, that means that for some of us, it's likely that we're facing it right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a very difficult situation in your life, a difficult season. Maybe you feel left out. You're overlooked, rejected. Maybe perhaps you're, you're all alone. You're stressed. You, you just started something new and you just don't know where to begin. You don't know... So tense and so stressed, and maybe there are some of you who have failed at something. You've lost your confidence, and you're in a season of trying to shake off that depression. But no matter how hard you try, it just gets heavier and heavier in your soul. Some of you, maybe it's a dark time financially right now. I mean, we all have to buy groceries in this economy, don't we? The pressure it just hangs there, and it just won't go away. Maybe you're dealing with incredibly difficult health challenges. You've got a kid that no matter how much you love, no matter how hard you try, your your child continues to make decisions that you know are dangerous. You're trying to love them in the right direction, but they continue to go in the wrong direction. And you can substitute child for husband if you like. Or wives. Or wives. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's family, a relationship, maybe it's your marriage, whatever it is, the pain, it feels unbearable, you're afraid, you're hurting, you're overwhelmed, and it just doesn't seem like anyone understands. Don't we always feel special when we're in trouble? We're the only ones. 
No one's ever faced this before. No one's ever done it. Oh, I, oh you've had trouble. You don't know my trouble. The trouble I've seen. <laughs> and it's in times like that that maybe you're beginning to ask, beginning to wonder, God, where are you? I'm trying to follow you. I'm doing the church thing. I, I'm trying to follow you. I'm praying and I'm reading scripture and all I'm feeling is pain. I just keep hitting resistance. Where are you, God? I'm here, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't seem like you're here with me. And so if pain is a promise, then there must be some type of purpose behind what God would allow to happen to us. His children, who he loved so much, who went to the cross for us. He wouldn't just leave us to have trouble for no reason, would he? So let us talk this morning a little bit about the blessings. Yes, the blessings that we actually experience from hardship and trials. Maybe not in them. We might not feel them, but on the other side, you will have joy. If you have your note sheet, I uh, actually have some fill in the blanks there. Maybe the first time I've ever preached here with a, and put blanks in. <laughs> Number one, if, you're, if, if you got your note sheet, trouble and hardship prove your faith. It reveals the depth of your faith and trust in Jesus. The first epistle of Peter, Peter is writing to a group of uh, extremely persecuted Jesus followers in what is now uh, modern-day Turkey. Peter wrote this epistle roughly around 60, 65 AD. The emperor of Rome at this time was a guy named Nero. Anybody been in church long enough to hear something mentioned about Nero? Okay. Who persecuted Jesus' followers in a, some pretty horrible ways. He would skin animals and put them on Christians and sew them up in a suit and send them in the Colosseum and then have wild dogs chase them to eat them alive. At parties, while he was entertaining his guests, sometimes he would take Christians, put them on a pole, pour wax on them, and light them human candles. It's in the midst of that sort of trouble and trial that Peter is writing this first epistle. And guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter writes this, in all this you greatly rejoice, and he's speaking of the hope they have in Jesus within the context of their suffering, that in their suffering, that through their faith, they can rejoice, greatly rejoice because of their faith. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, your faith is greater than gold. That means your faith is essentially greater than any material object. Of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed the proven genuineness of your faith. Peter tells them that the trials they now face, the persecution, the suffering, these trials show that their faith is genuine. 
whenever I think about that, if there's such a thing as genuine faith, is the opposite true? Is there such a thing as counterfeit, disingenuine faith? I would say yes. Counterfeit faith, a disingenuine faith that lacks the characteristics and markings of a genuine life-altering faith that we put in Christ. It's shallow, it's superficial, it lacks a firm foundation. And it's them who we referenced in the beginning. It's them who go, hey, I'm kind of doing this church thing, I'm doing the God thing, I'm giving it a go, and then something happens, and they pull away. In my years of vocational ministry, I've seen it happen to too many people. And what it is, is it's a shallow faith. The roots aren't deep enough. Jesus warns us, right? He tells us the parable of the, uh, about, about the sower, about where seeds are sown and, and what can happen to the seed or the plant depending on where it is planted. If the seed falls on the path, the birds just eat it up. If it seed lands on the rocky soil, on the rocky places that are lacking soil, the sun scorches it because it, it lacks rocks. It lacks soil. It's full of rocks. I don't know about anybody else live near the river. Uh, your yard is basically sand. How deep does your grass grow? Right? I walk through the. I walk through my yard and grass comes up on my shoes. Like I'm just pulling it up by the roots. Maybe we could substitute that with this. There's nowhere for it to go. Seed that goes among the thorns. Thorns choke the plants and they don't bear any grain because the trouble of the world chokes them out. But what happens on the good soil? It grows up and it produces an abundant crop. When we're planted in the good soil, we have good roots. We're planted in Christ. Then we can stand strong, stand rooted and planted so that whether the sun beats down on us or the wind blows us about or the rain pelts us or tries to drown us, we can stand firm, we can endure Trouble and hardship proves our faith. But if you aren't grounded in your faith in Jesus, what happens? Trials come and that shallow faith is uprooted. Often it looks like this. It begins with with questions. Nothing wrong with questions. Just depends on where you take them, right? It begins with questions. God, this happened to me. Where are you? God, what I wanted, what I hoped didn't happen. God, I don't know if I can trust you. You didn't answer my prayer, God. You must not be real. And they walk away. But trials prove our faith. When trouble comes, you might ask those questions. Doubt might creep in, and that's okay. The problem isn't in asking the questions. The problem is that too often we don't stick around and wait for the answers. We serve a big God. He isn't troubled by your trouble. He's not troubled by your questions or doubts. God's got big shoulders. He can handle it. Actually, in those times when you have a genuine faith and your roots are deep, and when the sun burns and blows, that's when you stand strong and show that your faith is real because the trials, they prove your faith. When we go back to John 16, what's so interesting is what... Jesus does, he contrasts two things. Don't miss this. He says, in me you will have peace. And he says, in the world, in the world you will have trouble. 
That's a part of being in a broken, sin-stained world. There's trouble, but he says, in me you will have peace. In the middle of trouble in a sin-stained, sin-filled world, you can still have peace from heaven. A peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand or even comprehend. Trials and trouble, it proves our faith. If you're still standing, your faith is real. If you're still here, if you're here trying to worship in the middle of whatever it is you're going through, your faith is real. You're doing it. I encourage you. We encourage you. You're doing it. And no one can take away from you what God is doing in you. Because as he says, he would turn your grief to joy. Trials and trouble prove our faith. Number two, they also prepare you for purpose. It's not just something happening to you, but it's something God is doing in you. You want to grow stronger? You want better faith? You want to be prepared to do more, don't you? We pray those prayers, don't we? We pray, God, use me in a mighty way. God, make my faith strong so that I can serve you and I can bring you glory. But I got to be honest with you, if those are your prayers and you're serious about it, then you're going to have to face some trials. You're going to have to be prepared. Be prepared to be prepared. And the reality is ease and comfort never make you stronger. Praying the prayer is step one. Step two is going through some pretty crappy situations that will force the issue of your faith. You're going to face things that suck. There's no other way to say it. It's experience. Situations that will force the issue of your faith, that it's going to make you rely more intimately on God. It's going to make you trust solely on him and his power, his grace and his mercy, or cause you to turn away. I've had quite a few gym memberships in my day. Sometimes they just tell themselves, don't they? And I never got healthier by having a membership card in my back pocket. Even if you just show up wearing the right clothes, you got to get on the machine. You can even know how the machine works. That helps. But you actually got to get on it. Even if you do it wrong, you're still doing something, right? You grow stronger through the resistance of the weights and the exercises. It's the same when we face spiritual battles. The more you fight, the more you don't give up, the more you persevere, the more you keep going. Every time you keep going, the easier the next one gets. One more rep, one more rep, one more rep. I can do it. The easier it gets. The more your faith is built, the more your confidence is built, the stronger your trust gets, the more you realize, God, you're going to show up. I know it. Why? Because you've done it. And you haven't changed since the last time I got myself in trouble. <laughs> Trials prepare you for purpose. James says this, 
chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Kind of sadistic, I think. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Because you know the testing of your faith, it does something in you, it develops perseverance. He says, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It prepares you for purpose. Trials prepare you for purpose. What do you do? You put your confidence in God. It's the resistance that's doing something in you, preparing you for something in the future. Maybe you say, I don't see the point. Why does it have to be so painful? Why does it have to be this way? Can it be a different way? I'm so discouraged, I'm overwhelmed, I'm afraid. Listen, could it be that God's preparation comes packaged as pain? Could it be that the very thing God is preparing in you for you to do later on, it comes packaged as hardship, as trouble, as trial? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to live for Jesus, if you're going to make a difference in the world, love God, love others, change your world, if, if you're going to make a difference in life for Jesus, chances are you're going to upset somebody. You're going to ruffle feathers. There will be criticism. There will be pain and loneliness and confusion. Your intentions and words will be misunderstood. They're going to be misperceived. They're going to be misconstrued and oftentimes just flat out missed. Fear will rise. You're going to want to stop. You're going to want to turn around and go back the way you came. Slip back into your comfort zone. But growth doesn't happen in the comfort zone. Unfortunately, you have to go into the discomfort zone. Not the judgment-free zone. This isn't whatever that membership I used to have. Planet Fitness or something, I don't know. Growth hurts. Anybody with little kids, they have growth, these growth pains, right? My leg hurts. My leg hurts all night long. My leg hurts. They're growing. Change hurts. But it's a part of the process that God uses in our lives to mature our faith to make sure that we're planted in the good soil. Think of all the people we consider heroes of the faith in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, David. Did they face trials and trouble? And some of it of their own making. Some of it wasn't just random coincidence. Some of it, they just got themselves into trouble doing dumb things. How did God prepare Joseph to, to rule over Egypt? By being rejected by his brothers, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. All the while, the roots of his faith in God is growing deeper. His confidence is growing. In the New Testament, think of Paul. Shipwrecked, beaten, whipped. Think of Jesus. Did they face trials? Think of Peter, who wrote the epistle we mentioned earlier. In the gospel accounts, he walks on water until he looks away, and then pfft, he's in the water. What did, that, what did that do? It put him in a place where he needed to trust in Jesus even more. And how did Peter respond when Jesus confronted him and foretold Peter, that, hey, you're going to deny me? What did Peter say? Nah, man, not me. 
We good. I won't deny you, Jesus. Those losers, they're going to deny you maybe, but not me. But then when Jesus is arrested and brought in, he doesn't just do it once. No, he does it three times. When the little girls accuse him of being a follower of Jesus, and he's grieved by it, it almost wrecks his future ministry. He easily could have went the route of Judas. I don't know if you realize this, but Judas and Peter are a teacher. It's, it's a contrast. Judas didn't keep going. Peter kept going. He holds on to his faith. And what happens to Peter by the end? Jesus, he reinstates him. He validates him with his love. He says, you're still called. Go out and feed my sheep. When you face trials and troubles, tell yourself it's not just pain, it's preparation. It's not just what's happening to you, it's God doing something in you. He's strengthening you, he's preparing you for something to come. You have to change your perspective on your trials and troubles. You aren't being turned down by God, you're being toughened up by God. The trouble, what does it do? It's purifying your heart. It's cleansing your soul. The lowliness, it's, it's teaching you to trust God. It's forcing you to be more intimate with him than you've ever been in your life. Pain drives us to prayer. It drives us into the presence of God. You come to that thing where you either keep going or you turn around, right? Either it's going to drive you in deeper into Christ or it's going to drive you out. And those are your decisions. That setback, maybe it's a setup for God to show up and show off. If you're racked with pain, there's always a purpose in your pain. God never ever wastes our hurt. God never wastes our experiences. God is a God who redeems. He never wastes. The trials, the pain, it proves our faith. It prepares us for purpose. C.S. Lewis says this. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The good news is not that Jesus delivers us from our pain. The good news is that Jesus delivers us from our sins. That he is with us. That the kingdom is here. The good news is that his grace is here. It's abundant. It's available. That he is real and he's working in your life. He's working in all things. He never promised that everything will go the way you hope, that we would never have issues in our relationships, that you wouldn't lose your job, that your kids wouldn't drive you crazy, or your husband or wife or whatever. Following Jesus isn't about having the life you want as you want it on earth. It's actually about denying yourself, taking up your cross, dying to self, and following him. This world is temporary. Go back to 1 Peter. Your faith is imperishable. The gold refined by fire is perishable. This world is temporary, and the things of this world are temporary. This world is passing. This world is fading away. I think, isn't that kind of what the series? 
I don't know if maybe this is your first time you haven't been here the past eight weeks, but I think that's kind of the point, right? It's temporary. That's why Jesus said this in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome your trouble. You're going to have to deal with it, the trouble, but I'm with you. I'm right there. We're going to do it together. And if not, then I'm going to do it. Just stay in line. In this world, you will have heartache. You will have pain and you will be rejected. You're going to have sleepless nights. But in Christ, you can have a peace that goes beyond the human ability to understand. There will be seasons where everything seems to be against you. Nothing seems to go right. No one understands you. Everyone misunderstands you as if you're speaking a different language than them. You're going to feel constant resistance as if there's something pushing against you, which is normal. There is something pushing against you. It's the world. It's the forces outside of Christ. Remember, we were caught out of the world, but we're left in it and within it to live for Jesus. There will be tough times. It's not always easy. Difficult to reconcile the pain of life sometimes. I get it. Sometimes our beliefs, ideals, or reality, they just don't line up. It's messy. Life is messy. But we live counter to the world. We go against the grain. We're swimming upstream. We're going to have resistance. There's going to be trials and troubles. In this world, you will have bad days. You will have heartbreaks. You will have letdowns. You will have trouble. That's what Jesus says. But he also says this, I have overcome the world. In the world, you have trouble, but in Christ, you have peace. You know, two things can be true at the same time. You can have both peace and trouble. Often we fall into the trap of thinking that peace is the absence of trouble. Or if I could just solve these problems. If I could just get through this season, if I could, if only this would happen. If I could just do this, if then, if then. I'm going to have peace. But it doesn't work that way. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Rather, peace is what happens when you put your hope and your trust in Christ in the midst of trouble. And we do have a mighty hope in Christ. Take heart. He's overcome the world. He's overcome the forces against you. Everything that's causing resistance, everything that's pushing against you, Jesus is overcome. You're the victor along with Jesus. You share that. Take heart. He's overcome the world. And if you're in Christ, so have you. There is no trouble that you might face that can rob you of the peace you have in Christ unless you let it. The choice is yours. So this morning, you have to make the decision on your own. Trouble is inevitable. Jesus tells us straight, in this world you will have trouble. So you can either have peace and trouble, peace in Christ and trouble in the world, or you can go your own way and have trouble and no peace. Trouble and trouble. Double trouble, you might say. Personally, I'll take number one. How about you? All right. Let's pray this morning. Father, today we 
We pray for that peace. Your peace. Your supernatural, otherworldly peace. That peace that passes all understanding. We pray for that peace that only you, only you can provide. The times of pain, God, and those times where our internal anguish is just is beyond bearing, when we feel we cannot go on anymore, when we feel that it's all just more than we can bear, that the pain is bigger than us, the troubles, the suffering, the trials, they're bigger than us. God, may our confidence be in you. May your Holy Spirit comfort us. May it encourage us. May it empower us and reveal to our hearts the blessings of the pain, the blessings of the trials, that though we grieve, you're going to turn it to joy. God, that we may see and that we may understand the process, the the purpose of it all, that you don't waste our pain. You do not waste our experiences, but that you are at work in the midst of them and that that you're redeeming it all for your purpose, God, for your glory, for your kingdom. God, I pray for our faith that you you would prove our faith. God, plant it deep. Make it real. May we not be found with a shallow or superficial faith, but a faith that is rooted, that can withstand the elements. God, the trials and the troubles that that we're facing this morning, whatever they may be, we lift them all up to you. We lay them at your feet, knowing that you're not only able, that you're not only able and capable, but you're willing to step into the midst of our situations, into the middle of our circumstances and work as only you can work. Holy Spirit, be with us this day. Tend to us this week as we go about following you in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, as we face trials, as we face troubles, as things arise in our lives that attempt to set us back. Be with us. Lead us and guide us until we all meet here again next week to celebrate and to praise you and your wondrous love. Amen. 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 Take heart. He has overcome the world. At this time, if our prayer partners could come forward, if we have any of those here this morning, if you have anything that you need prayer for, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, love to pray for you. The rest of you, God bless. Have a great day.